It's not a playground. And so I appreciate your prayers, and we need to be praying for one another. Amen? Okay, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to cover the whole chapter this morning, so we're going to cover a lot of ground as we're going to see that Jesus is going to give his final address to the religious leaders. He is going to bring a strong rebuke to them, and then he's going to turn away from them. He will cross the the temple precinct, and then he will make some comments about how that the temple is going to be destroyed. And then his disciples will come to him as next week when we enter into chapter 24, we will find ourselves there on the Mount of Olives listening in on this private briefing that the Lord gives to his disciples concerning the signs of the end of the age and his coming. And, and we'll look at that. Then he's going to have dinner with his disciples for the last time. And then when he goes over to the Garden of Gethsemane, he will be arrested and then go on a series of trials that will lead him to Calvary. So Jesus is going to withdraw from his public ministry and he gives his final address to the religious leaders as we begin to read. Remember that he came into Jerusalem in his final week before his death, burial, and resurrection. It is Passover, and we know the religious leaders are confronting Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians are there at the temple precinct, and they have come and interrupted Jesus, and they are confronting him publicly. They're challenging him, trying to find a reason to have the people turn away from him, to accuse him so he can be arrested and handed over to the Roman authorities. But Jesus has answered them and silenced them, as we read at the end of chapter 22 last time, that no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone question him anymore. And now as we move into chapter 23, Jesus is going to turn to the multitudes and to the disciples and address the religious leaders concerning their spiritual hypocrisy. And he will also deliver a series of woes against them. So let's pick up our text. Now keep in mind that the religious leaders are standing within earshot of what Jesus is saying to them. And we read, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So the very first thing that Jesus says about them is, verse 2, they sit in Moses' seat or they have seated themselves in Moses' seat. Jesus indicted them, first of all, on a false spiritual leadership. They have put themselves as a self-appointed position in leadership. Now, you recall, as we've talked about quite extensively, that they came challenging Jesus' authority in chapter 21. They interrupted him as he's teaching the people, by what authority do you do these things, and who gave you this authority? And even though as we covered those chapters, and Jesus did not directly answered them he has brought indictment to them and also we know that these religious leaders were ones that they considered themselves to be the authority in the land and they were a self-appointed authority and as he says you sit in in moses seat what does that mean well perhaps that you you know have heard of someone who chairs a department at a college or a university that they chaired the Department of Philosophy or Engineering or whatever. It speaks of authority to be able to teach, to be one that, that lectures. But this authority was not given to them by God. And we know that any authority that is given to us, that civil authorities that are ordained by God, Romans chapter 13, there's going to be an interesting exchange that we're going to see 
when Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate is going to say to Jesus, don't you know that, that, that um, Pilate saying, don't you know that I have the authority to let you go? And Jesus will answer and say that you have no authority over me except what's been given to you by my Father. We know that any authority that's given to us, whether the authority in our home as, as husbands, as moms and dads, any authority that we have in the church is given to us by the Lord. And we see very clearly in the scriptures how it is that we are to use that authority, how it is that we're going to conduct ourselves. And that's what Jesus really is going to be touching on as we continue here. We're going to see their spiritual hypocrisy, but also we're going to see how it is that we are to be ones that use any authority that we have to please God. We are to serve others. We are to care for others. We are to tend for others. We are to feed the sheep, as he would tell you know, Peter, that I've called you to ministry. We are to serve and be the servant of all. So all these things that we'll go through, and as we see in verse 3, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. So what was the result of their false spiritual leadership was, first of all, a lack of integrity. They would teach the law, they would expect others to keep it, but they themselves did not keep it. And what my hope and prayer for us is wherever God has placed us in positions where he has has put us in, whether it is being parents or whether you're ministering to a small group, you got a position of ministering to children or to youth or, or a group of people, a small group, that we would display godly integrity. That's my prayer for me. We are not only to preach Christ, we are to live Christ. We are not only to preach the cross, we are to live the cross. Now, none of us do this perfectly. But as I think about godly integrity, I look at Daniel in the Old Testament, a man of great integrity. I think about Joseph in the book of Genesis. I think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one. I love to read about Nehemiah because he was one that he was, man, he was a a man of great integrity as he would rebuild the wall around Jerusalem after the captivity. Paul the Apostle was one of great integrity. So Lord, help me to be one that displays godly integrity. And what we teach and what we exhort and what we encourage others, I pray that that godly integrity would be evident in our lives. In verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they, second of all, had a lack of compassion. They wanted to to place heavy burdens on people with their traditions and their rituals, but they had no compassion for the people, the people who were hurting, those who were spiritually weak, who needed to be encouraged in the Lord. And so one of the things that we have seen clearly in Matthew's gospel is the Lord's compassion. He had compassion on that man that was full of leprosy, and he reached out and touched that man, and that man was cleansed. In Matthew chapter 9, of course, we saw that he looked at the the multitudes, the sheep without a shepherd, scattered and weary, and he was moved with compassion. We know that he stood on the hillside in Galilee, and he would cry out, that come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In ministering to others, we give them the truth of the Lord. We give them the word of God. We give them the commandments of God. 
but may we not lose that compassion for people who are lost and weary, who are weak. And what we are to do is we are to build people up, not to burden people. And we have seen that as they had all their traditions and all the details of law and how to keep the Sabbath, that it was a burden to the people. No one could keep it. They themselves couldn't even keep it. And so the Lord said, you've made the word of God of no effect with all your traditions. Verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. They love the best seats at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So outwardly, those scribes and Pharisees, they look so righteous with their robes and the phylacteries, the little you know, box that they have on their foreheads and they have strands. You can see Orthodox Jews today that when we go to Israel, we see them that have the phylacteries on their wrists. The box contains the word of God. But, but the Lord is not indicting them for having a phylactery on their wrist or forehead or wearing a robe. But their his, spiritual hypocrisy would include that they love to be seen of men. And so Jesus not only saying that these leaders had a lack of integrity and, and compassion, but now he's pointing out that they had a lack of humility. They were full of pride and arrogance. They wanted to be seen for their, their you know, righteousness, the external righteousness that they displayed. And Jesus addressed it in the Sermon on the Mount, you might recall. He said, when you fast, don't be like the, the Pharisee who goes to the marketplace and he looks all gaunt and, and, and people are saying, look at that Pharisee. He's not going to eat any food. He's not going to buy any food. He, he's so spiritual. Or when the hour of prayer came, they, they stopped on the street corner and began to say their long prayers. Or they blew the trumpet before they gave. And Jesus said, you're not to be that way. And so people, as they looked at those religious leaders, they, they would think that they were righteous. They were so spiritual. But they were doing it with the hypocrisy of heart. When it comes with to our walk with Christ and in our service to Christ. Listen, there's no room for pride or arrogance. That's for me or for any of us. Pride is such a, a terrible sin. It caused Lucifer to fall and, and become Satan. To do things for the Lord, for our own recognition or gain, or to try to be more popular with the people, to make a name for ourselves. And that can be a real trap. That can be a trap for me. It can be a trap for any of us. And can be the motive for, for those who get into ministry, to be known, to be popular. Uh, Jesus, remember in chapter 18, when he was talking to the disciples about being great in the kingdom, remember he used a child? He used a child as an example, and he said that you first must come in childlike faith. And then he used that child as an example to be great in the kingdom, speaking about humility, speaking about serving others. You're not the rule over others. Remember, as we've studied, that's Gentile stuff, the rule over others. But you're to serve others is what you are to do. It was Paul that would say to the Corinthian church, we're not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. Paul the apostle who had an incredible ministry, much of the New Testament that he was used of God to write as he was inspired by God. Planted churches. His ministry, I read it and I think, wow, how God used him. And as he was being used of the Lord, he was a great man of humility. And he ended the letter to the Galatians. He would write that God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our lives and in our service to God, 
may we boast only in the cross, not in ourselves, not in a name, but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Boast at his marvelous love and grace and mercy that is in our lives. And one of the things that the Lord always reminds me of, that he uses me not because of me, he uses me in spite of me, and because of his grace and mercy, and I'm very grateful for that. And verse 8, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not be not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So true spiritual leadership consists of two things. One, that that individual will avoid elevated titles. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that you shouldn't call a pastor, you know, address him pastor. I do that. You heard me already, Pastor Luke, Pastor Travis, Pastor Ed. I do that out of respect for them. And we know that it was Paul that he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 that he gave some to be pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we have, you know, elders and, and uh, the qualifications and deacons. But I think that what Jesus is saying is, is he says the key here is that, um, that, uh, that you're all brethren. In other words, and not anyone's more important to the Lord than the other person. The foot of the cross, that is, is flat. And so elevated you know, titles like um, you know, the most high reverend, I've, I've seen those and stuff like that. And I appreciate teachers. I appreciate those who expound on the scriptures. I've benefited from it. I've been blessed by it. I'm so grateful that he gave some to be pastors and teachers. So the Lord is talking about elevated titles, thinking you're better than everybody else, more important in the Lord's eyes or more righteous than anybody else. And then also he talks about accepting lowly tasks, being a servant. And Jesus, our ultimate spiritual leader, set the example for that. He chose to eat with sinners. He touched the lepers. He washed feet. He said, I came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. That's what ministry is all about, to serve in practical ways, in the giftings that God has given to you, in the places that he has placed you, to, to be one that is ministering to people, to be a benefit and a blessing to them. So you lack integrity. You lack compassion and humility. And now Jesus pronounces eight woes as he ends his last sermon. He pronounces these woes. Woe is not good, right? The, the meaning of woe is the idea of warning or condemnation. And also we're going to see that he's going to use the word hypocrite eight times in this chapter. Um, this word hypocrite is used by Matthew more in this chapter than any other chapter in Scripture. So people will come to you and to me, listen, as we go through this, there's going to be eight woes. He ends his public you know, teaching with eight woes against these religious leaders. He began his public teaching by giving eight beatitudes, eight blessings. Remember that? And it's interesting to kind of compare the two or contrast the two that he's talking about here. But these eight woes that he gives, people will come to you and to me and they'll say, well, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. Or, you know, the leadership is full of hypocrites. And this is going to help you as we see Jesus defines what spiritual hypocrisy is all about. 
This will help you minister to them and say, what do you mean hypocrites? What do you, what do you mean by that? And to be able to minister to them through the word of God. But Jesus defines spiritual hypocrisy here, and he pronounces these eight woes. Let's begin to see that. But woe to you, verse 13, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. In Matthew chapter 5, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and the scribes were proud in spirit. Jesus said it kept them from entering into the kingdom. And they keep, keep others as well from entering in. They, they w- would come against anyone who would follow after Jesus. Remember in John chapter 9, the man who was born blind, it was healed by Jesus. That those religious leaders, as you read the chapter, end up excommunicating him. And they threaten to excommunicate anyone who associated with Jesus. And that was a scary thought back then, to be excommunicated from the synagogue. So they kept people from coming to Jesus, and and they would uh, preach against Jesus, rejecting him personally. And there are those today, pastors, who will keep people from coming to Jesus. They, you know, will teach a progressive theology. And I remember locally, there was one pastor who, who wrote an article in the paper that he said that the cross was offensive to him. And I think, are you kidding me? There are those who will make fun of the scriptures. Those who will say that you don't need to come and confess that you're a sinner and repent and turn to the cross of Jesus Christ. Live any way that you want to. So there are those who will teach against Jesus, who he is, and against repentance and the cross of Jesus Christ, that he is our salvation, keeping people from coming to him. And that's what they were doing, keeping people from coming to the Lord. And then he continues with the second woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation." So Jesus given this strong rebuke and condemnation to the scribes and Pharisees that would take advantage of the widows and those who are vulnerable. In Exodus chapter 22, the Lord gave a stern warning not to mistreat or to take advantage of orphans or widows or the poor, um, not to afflict them. And the Lord says, when they cry out to me, I will hear them. James in his epistle in chapter 1. In verse 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. So the scripture has a lot to say about caring for and ministering to widows and orphans and the stranger, those who are weak and vulnerable, but apparently the religious leaders preyed on and took advantage of them. When we have been going through these Old Testament books of the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, even Hosea, we see the condition of the house of Israel and the house of Judah and their leaders taking advantage of the people, you know, and, and doing harm to the people. They were ripping the people off. We, we've looked at that quite carefully. Now, when you compare this second woe to the second beatitude in Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God's desire is to bring comfort to the widows. For those who mourn, And we as Christians are to bring that comfort to others. Today, unfortunately, we have to be on guard for those who seek to take advantage of others, to the elderly, to the weak, to the widows, with their scams, wanting to rule over people, you know, wanting to, to, you know, tell their, you know, prosperity message that you need to give to me. 
and all their scams, preying on the vulnerable. I remember uh, coming back from Israel the last time we were on a plane and the little TV thing in front of you watching it. And they had this religious channels watching it. And this guy was saying that if you found yourself, you know, in debt in your credit card, what you need to do is you need to trust God and you need to give. Give us your credit card number and you're going to see that God's going to, to bless you, even if you are afraid to get in more debt. And, I, you know, I about caused a scene there on the plane. I was so upset that this guy and people are falling for this because people want to be more spiritual, and it's sad when those in the church seek to do things like that, to manipulate the vulnerable in their effort to gain power over somebody or gain money and benefit for them. Woe to you, Jesus said. You devour widows' houses while you're trying to hide behind your hypocrisy with all your long prayers and external you know, exercise that you do and lots of God talk you'll receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel uh, land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. So this third woe, Jesus indicting them under zeal to convert someone, but it would put them on a path to hell. Paul in Romans chapter 10, he talks about how they had a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge of God. He talks about it in his own life before his conversion in Philippians chapter 3. He says, have no confidence in the flesh. If anybody would have had confidence in the flesh, it was me, a Pharisee, Pharisees, a tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, all this religious accomplishment. He said, I, I consider that as dung for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What we see today, we can see great zeal for those who come you know, to try to convert uh, they embrace false teachings. It's amazing what's out there that Christians will adopt and get into. Uh, the different movements and, and things like that that aren't according to the Word of God. I know I have said this a thousand times, so I'm going to say it a thousand and one. If you don't know the Scriptures, folks, you're going to get deceived. There's too many voices that are out there, too much deception that's out there. You have those of the cults that, that are very zealous. You have Mormon missionaries that are walking around this neighborhood here. You have Jehovah Witnesses that will knock on your door. They say that we're going to tell you about a different Jesus. We got another gospel. There are those who, many of you, that you've encountered them at Walmart or at Target or in Starbucks that will come up and they're very zealous and they seem to really know their stuff and they're from the World Mission Society Church of God a cult that started in Korea and they'll tell you about have you heard about Mother God there's all kinds of things like that that are out there and so we want to be wise in the scriptures and we want to be able to give an answer we want to be able to, to be in that place of safety you know Proverbs chapter 1 ends that there's safety and security in knowing the wisdom of God and the word of God so the Pharisees, they would try to convert others to their empty, you know, uh, traditions and rituals, and, and it wasn't according to what God wanted. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you make the word of God of no effect. It was a false hope and message. They weren't, you know, um, bringing, you know, they weren't bringing anyone to God. And when Jesus says that they become twice as much as the son of hell, he's expressing how many of these converts in their zeal became more pharisaical than the one who converted them. Now compare this to the third beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. And verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, verse 19, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things. And he who swears by the temple swears by it, by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sit on it. Jesus already addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount when he was speaking to the people. He, he would address them in their oaths and and he would say that they're playing spiritual games with it. Jesus said in the fourth beatitude, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were not hungry spiritually for righteousness, for integrity, to have compassion and humility. They were into playing these spiritual games with their you know, semantics and their oaths and their vocabulary. What they would do is they would take an oath and and if you swore by the temple, you didn't really have to keep it. You know, it wasn't binding, kind of like crossing your fingers behind your back. You didn't have to tell the truth. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, well, that was different. Then you had to tell the truth. So righteousness ended up being a game for them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus addressed them and their oaths and playing games and saying Corbin this and that and not helping out their parents, one of the things he told you and I, he said, don't do that. He said, what you're to do is let your yes be yes and your no be no. And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Listen, to have godly integrity, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And it's okay to say no at times. But sometimes Christians can play this game. Well, you know, Lord, if, if you just help me with this, then, you know, you make these unrealistic oaths that you won't keep. I'll read my Bible for two hours every day for the next year. Or whatever it might be. Or we play games of, well, you know, I'll, I'll be there if it's the Lord's will. Now, we know that James says that, that we say if the Lord's will, because we don't know if there is tomorrow. And you'll hear me say if the Lord's will, you know, I'll be back here next Sunday. But the thing is, is don't use this as an excuse, well, I guess it wasn't the Lord's will. You know, I know I committed to this thing, but it wasn't the Lord's will. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you're committed to something, be committed to it. But be a man or woman of your word. And that's how we can display godly integrity. So here they were playing games with all of that. And then uh, we see uh, as we continue on, um, as we, verse 23, that's where we're at. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite. For you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus said in the fifth beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Woe to you Pharisees, you're not merciful, you're missing it. You'll strain out a, a gnat. What they would do is they would they would um, strain out their drink so a gnat wouldn't get into it because they would consider it to be unclean then. But they, they would swallow a camel. Uh, you have all the little details down, but you're missing the big picture. And they emphasize all the little details and the washings and all of this. 
but they missed a big picture that their hearts wasn't right with God. Again, they didn't have compassion. They didn't have humility. They didn't have godly integrity. There are those today that they can just major on the minors, you know, all the little details. And I know one pastor that, that you know, I, I would see him and talk to him and and he was just really, the little details, you know, that kid, he has hair to the top of his ears. And that's not right. And he needs to get a haircut. Or, you know, this certain dress code. And he even gave me a video one time. And that video was a whole long video of how evil it is for a church to have a set of drums up on the platform. And I'm thinking, you kidding me? But nothing about having a heart right with the Lord. Nothing about desiring to please the Lord. So minoring in, in these, these minor things, missing the big picture of having a heart towards God. Having a heart towards Him and loving Him. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Number six of the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Pharisees, their hearts weren't pure, they weren't right, but full of hypocrisy and pride and arrogance. I think about Paul writing to Timothy, young Timothy, and he says, Timothy, that you be in sound doctrine, and out of this will come a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And that's my prayer. Lord, please, I want to have sincere faith. I want to have a good conscience. And I want to have a pure heart. And that convicts me. The Bible talks about a clean heart. The Bible talks about a pure heart. And I think, Lord, in honesty, as I give my heart to you, I can't say that I have a pure heart. I want that. Work that in me. I want to have a pure heart so I can have sincere, you know, good conscience and out of sincere faith. And having a pure heart towards him is not just the external things that makes you look good or clean. A pure heart is one that isn't polluted, but, you know, Dirty, stained by sin and iniquity in the things of the world is a desire to have a closeness to the Lord, an intimacy with Him, to set your heart on the Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 27, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful and outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The tombs back then, they would polish the tombs. They were all white. They looked beautiful all on the outside. He said, you're like that. All on the outside, externally, you look all polished and everything, but there's no life in you. You're full of dead men's bones. Jesus saw them as they really were, not just their appearance. And then, woe to you as we finish up these, these woes here. In verse 29, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And say, if we have lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. 
serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you your you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, of whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So when he called them a whitewashed tomb, the seventh beatitude that we know is Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They didn't bring peace to the people. We have peace with God as we come to Christ and the peace of God as we learn of Christ and draw close to him. We know that the eighth beatitude is that blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were saying, if it would have been in our day, we wouldn't have killed the prophets that were sent. But yet here they are ready to execute the one that the prophets spoke of, and that is Jesus. From Abel to Zacharias, you have killed the prophets, and you're going to continue to do that. As in the book of Acts, you see that these scribes and Pharisees would persecute the early church, the early Christians in the book of Acts. And as Jesus says, that surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation indicting the leaders of Israel of their continual rejection and persecution of the prophets uh, sent to them, the early church, that as we talked about in details, that judgment would come to them in 70 AD. And knowing that, we finish the chapter with Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're going to pick it up here next time because this is going to kind of take us into the Olivet Discourse. Jesus, for the second time, is weeping over Jerusalem. Second time in, in this week. The first time in a triumphal entry. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus said a name twice, that he was weeping or bringing correction? He would say, Simon, Simon. Satan's been asking for you, and he wants to shift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. On the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And remember in John's gospel, Martha, Martha, you're troubled by many things. I wonder how many times he says, Jeff, Jeff, <laughs> you're troubled by many things. Jeff, Jeff, I know you're in spiritual warfare, but I'm praying for you. I'm your intercessor. I know that the Lord, he says, Jeff, Jeff, I, I want you to listen to me, bring correction to me. Here he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And as he's weeping over Jerusalem, he says, you're not gonna, your house is left to you desolate, and you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we're going to talk about what that means next week as we'll pick it up here and then move into the Olivet Discourse. You don't want to miss it. Listen, as the disciples and Jesus, after he walks away from the multitudes, crossing the temple precinct, they're going to look at all the stones, and Jesus said, there's going to be a time where it's all going to be leveled. 
that it's all going to be flattened. He will go to the Mount of Olives, and then his disciples, Mark's gospel tells us four of them particularly, come and ask him, when is this going to happen? What's the signs of the end? And what is your second coming going to be? When are you going to return? And Jesus begins to talk about that. He talks about when that time, when it's going to Jerusalem be leveled, we're going to talk about the signs of the end. We're going to talk about persecution. We're going to talk about the abomination of desolation. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the great tribulation period. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about the blessed hope. That is the rapture of the church. We're also going to see how Jesus tells us to be wise. We're going to learn about his second coming, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. All these things are we're going to cover. So I hope that you join us for it because it's going to be important. I think a lot of people have re, just the comments that I hear and, and, and you conversing with me is that I see all these things going on around me. You know, the world seems to be falling apart. Things are falling apart around us. When you look at it scripturally, uh, things are falling into place. And I want you to be able to know what our Lord says concerning the signs of his coming that we are going to begin to talk about next week. Remember, he rebuked the religious leaders. He said, you guys can discern the weather, but you can't discern the coming of the Son of Man. And there are many churches that won't talk about it, won't address it, when it is addressed very clearly in God's Word. And so I want to be able to go over this where you have a good understanding of the days. People say, why do you say that we're in the last days? Come back next week. And we're going to look at all of those things that you're wise in the days in which we're in. We don't know the day or the hour that the Lord comes, but times and seasons, Paul says, you have no need for me to write to you. We can discern the days in which we're in. There are certain things that are happening all around us that, that tell us that the Lord's return is very soon. I don't know exactly when it is, but I'm going to be watching and waiting, and I want to be wise. So when people begin to talk to you about why is this happening, why are we going you know, down this road, why these trends, you can open up the scriptures and say, this is what Jesus had to say. And these things will come to pass, even as Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, that, you know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. These things will come to pass. And you and I have the privilege to be able to look at these things, study these things, and be wise in the days in which you're in. And it's not to scare us. Listen, it's to prepare us. It's not to trouble you, but to comfort you. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica, he said, don't be troubled, don't be shaken in mind as though the day of the Lord has come. And he begins to bring that comfort and assurance once again of the blessed hope. We know that Jesus in the upper room, as the disciples, they don't know what's going on. Heavy things are going down, things are taking place. He says, don't be troubled in your heart. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And as I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself to where I am. You will be also. I'm going to come and receive you to myself. We're going to talk about the blessed hope. The Lord's going to come for his church, I believe, at any time. Tomorrow, this week, I don't know when. But there's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the coming of the Lord. So all these things that we're going to talk about, that it will comfort us. Comfort one another with these words Jesus said when he, or Paul said when he talked about the rapture of the church and meeting the Lord in the air.
And I want you to be ones that are comforted, that you know the days in which we are in, that it stirs our hearts because we are here. We are here to occupy till he comes, to be used of the Lord, and to know that everything is going to culminate to where some wonderful things are going to happen in the return of the Lord and the, and the establishment of his kingdom. And we get to be a part of that. Amen? So be sure to grab somebody. Throw them in the car. Bring them here over the next several weeks so they can also know and be blessed. And, you know, the thing is, I know that, that um, it's going to be very fruitful for us as we do that. Father, we thank you so much for um, this chapter that can be kind of a heavy chapter, but we learn not just about spiritual hypocrisy, but how we can minister with integrity, integrity of heart and compassion and, Lord, um, humility. That's how you desire for us to live, that people would see that evident in our hearts. They're not going to see it perfectly. But, Lord, we want to be ones. They see you your love, your compassion, Lord, your mercy, honesty, be it manifested from us because it's the work of the Spirit. That we're not like the world. That, Lord, that, that you, every day of our lives and every area of our lives, we truly reign. We want to be established in your word and in your truth so that we have a good conscience and sincere faith and purity of heart. We don't want to be caught up in the world and the deception of the world. We want to be wise in the days in which we were in. So I thank you for today. And I also just want to, to pray for anybody that maybe you're here and you know that you can't save yourself or a church can't save you. Only Jesus saves. And the invitation is given for you to get right with God because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. To turn to Jesus, to repent, to turn direction and come to him to ask for forgiveness of sin because you are a sinner. All of us are sinners. But you, that you would come to him who made atonement for your sins and call out to him and allow him to sit upon the throne of your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. You can do that. If you're not right with God, if you haven't come to Jesus, the invitation has come and call on the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you can do that right now. Jesus, I need you. You are the Savior of the world, and you are Lord. You rose from the grave. You, you conquered sin and death. So I ask that you would forgive me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, I thank you for this living hope I have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. Very grateful to be a part of the family of God in Jesus' name. For all of us, Lord, that we would look to you to be used in the days in which we were in where you have placed us, the people that are linked to us, to be a blessing and a benefit to them. So, Lord, thank you for today. 
Lord, bless our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?